Hello, and welcome to the American Mill Spouse. I'm Elizabeth Smith, typically your host, but the tables have been turned for this episode. I am flattered that you all wanted to hear from me, but as evidenced by the months between when that was requested and my actual recording and publishing of this episode, I was a little hesitant. I'm thankful to my wonderful husband for doing such a great job playing host, and I hope that you enjoy this final episode of 2020. This podcast has truly been such a highlight for me during this absolutely wild year, and I can't thank you all enough for your support. I hope that this podcast has meant a little bit to you as well. While I take a little time off to settle into a new full-time job and work out the balance of things, I would really love if you would drop me a line to let me know who else you'd like to hear me talk with. You can send me a message on Facebook or Instagram at The American Mill Spouse, or you can email me at elizabeth at theamericanmillspouse.com. Have a happy and safe holiday season and good riddance 2020. So today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Elizabeth, who is normally the host of this podcast, Uh, but today I will be doing the hosting, and I am Kyle Smith, her husband. So welcome. Uh, Would you please just give everyone a little bit of background about where you come from and uh, where you've been up to this point? (laughs) You did so great. (laughs) Now you have to edit this out. (laughs) I know, but I'm proud of you. Thanks. Hello, husband. My name's Elizabeth. I come from Crown Point, Indiana, just uh, about an hour outside Chicago, where you also come from. True. I went to Purdue University, and after graduating, moved out to Boston, Massachusetts to see about a boy, and that went well enough that I then went to Texas. North Carolina, Idaho, California, and now Florida. I have two daughters. They are two and three, Annabelle and Cecilia. And I currently stay home with them, which is always fleeting as I tend to find myself working, which may happen again in the coming weeks. True. You do love to work. I do indeed. That guy sounds pretty great. (laughs) <laughs> so far, so good. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to interview you, and it should be fun. And I haven't interviewed someone in a very long time for anything, so it'll be very interesting. You're so cute. <laughs> you're so nervous, and you're so cute. I'm not nervous at all. You're so nervous. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm distracting you. Keep going. So, to kick this off, let's talk about some of the highs and lows of mill spouse life for you up to this point. We'll just go dive right into it. So what would you say your, uh, one of your greatest joys so far uh, since we got married and you entered the military realm? Anything that you've experienced or places you've been or someone you've met? Uh, what's one of the highlights that you could pick out? I think the overarching highlight, there are a lot of little clips here and there that were definite highs. But the constant that I continue to be rewarded by has been the friendships. And that was admittedly something that I was pretty lazy about at the beginning. When we were first dating, especially in Massachusetts, you were in grad school. So we were not really in the military life. I also had just come from a tumultuous time in my own life. I was starting over. I had roommates who were really good to me. I just didn't have anything to do with the military life really at that point and didn't need to. And so we didn't, even though you were in the military, we didn't start out in a place like I think a lot of spouses do where they marry straight into sort of the madness and the unknown and feeling like there's all this stuff that you don't understand and all these hardships. We were basically just living our best life in Cambridge eating Panera bread every day. (laughs) But after that, I, as we moved, I think I slow, and to be fair, I also got really lucky with Monica, for instance, who ended up being a fellow male spouse before either of us were male spouses, who is a, a soul sister for sure. But with that, I didn't really put myself out there for a while. 
I didn't do that in UPT either. That was a little bit unique. We were one of the only, basically one of the only couples at that point. And then we got to North Carolina where suddenly we were like the only people without kids. So we were sort of felt a little bit out of place there too. And then we got to Idaho and that was when we had our girls and I really was hit with not only how much of a blessing those friendships can be, but how necessary they are. And we were really, really fortunate to have such an amazing uh, friend family there. And that, and we connected with them early on and they ended up just showing up for us over and over and leaving there was hard. And then I went to California and I met a whole new group of entirely different people who also were so good to me and taught me so many different things. And so that's been the biggest blessing and totally humbling as an introvert who has never really fancied myself someone who needs a lot of people and who was really blessed growing up to have a really tight-knit family group that I just never had to lean on those friendships in that way that I do now. And that was really, I think, part of the big inspiration for this podcast is just constantly awestruck by the people that we meet and people that we meet who I will meet the first time. And that's something else that I will toot my own horn about this great judge of character that I can be and how these, you know, Oh, first impressions, which I'm not going to lie. I'm usually within the ballpark on first impressions, but I also am really bad about letting my own guard down during a first impression. So while I'm taking somebody in, I don't open up. And so it takes time for me to do so. And when I look back on these different friendships and the ways that they've changed me, the ways that these people have showed up for us, and hopefully we've done the same for them, but just learning about all these different women and a few men, but I mean, in the spouse community, it's rare, but, uh, they're different experiences and that's why I love this podcast. And that's why I wanted to do it because they have come from all different walks of life. And of course we've shared certain similarities, but it's been so neat to learn from people who have these ridiculously different experiences, which is not something you get when you live in the same town all the time, because sure you get a couple of people that move from another town, but you don't have people that come from every single corner of the country, the world who have seen everything so many things I haven't seen. And so just getting to see things through so many different lenses is a huge, huge blessing. And I think my favorite part of this life, even though I continue to want to stay home every day, I try to remind myself that that's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point that we kind of, we probably ease into it more than a lot of people because like you said, we obviously were very close before you kind of entered the military life, but when you entered it, it was still pseudo civilian life. Mm-hmm. And I brought a lot of friends out to Boston that I was previously uh, in college with. Yes. And we kind of had that core group or a smaller core group that followed us on a pilot training. But then as we got later in my career, in the past few assignments, I feel like we have had to enter a little bit more uh, you know, starting from ground zero mm-hmm. with each assignment and less and less of a kind of counterintuitive, but less and less of a, uh, a core group that was following us. Like yeah. entering California was essentially a brand new group and a more eclectic group, right? We were, mm-hmm. instead of just being in a brand, you know, a, a total pilot world, we were in a world now of civilians and engineers and WISOs and different platforms. And that's also followed us here to Florida. But I think in the meantime, we've also kind of subconsciously trained our introvert selves to adapt to that Mm -hmm. and be a little bit more willing to seek out those new friendships that weren't as easy or aren't as easy as maybe we entered into friendships early on in my career. Yes, yes. When we were first together. Yes, I agree. And I feel like we're still the same people and we're still never going to be strong minglers, but we have learned that we have to go 
And that's what I know for me, I did not do at the beginning. Yeah. Coffees and UPT, I went to one, maybe. Right. And so that's something that now I know I'm going to go to every coffee. And it doesn't mean I'm going to meet my best friend at every coffee. But you, especially as somebody who takes so long to warm up, I have to go meet these people 10, 15, 20 times yeah. before those connections really start. And like you said, that's where a lot of the most valuable experiences and connections come from. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's really a numbers game when it comes it down to it. It's totally, a numbers. <laughs> it totally is a numbers game. And it's dating <laughs> too. Throw it at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> exactly. And you're dating these people. And I know that I've told you this before, of course, but I joke about it when I look back at a number of my friendships, they are not the person who is the most similar to me in the room. They're sometimes opposite, but if nothing else, they're the ones who, you know, I joke about Bobby, one of my best friends from high school, who I didn't like when I first met because she was so extroverted and so sincere and so vulnerable and all of these things that I yeah. like just recoil from the idea of who's my best friend because she kept showing up for me. Sure. And so I think that's the kind of thing that um, I think I sort of live my life. Like if the worst case scenario is I'm someone's Bobby, then that's pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, so that's a good one. So on the flip side of that, <laughs> yeah, everything is not roses in the military. True. So what would you say is one of the pitfalls or larger downsides that you've experienced over the past uh, roughly decade or so? Yikes. Let's <laughs> idiot would say yikes a mundo. Um, I think definitely it's hard saying goodbye to those friendships, but I think that we've done it enough times that I've been reassured that those people stay in your life. Talked about, you know, Monica, who we met when, what, 2000. 10, something like that. So it's been 10 years, coming up in 10 years. So I know that those people will stay in my life, but the hardest thing for me is you being gone. And I feel like I, I have no doubt about my ability to be okay. I think back to, I don't even remember what it was, like Sear or something after UPT where you were gone for maybe a month. Mm -hmm. It was probably the first time and I remember being so sad. And I don't feel that same sadness, but I still just never like it when you're gone. I, I feel like to love somebody enough to move all the places we move and to live the type of life that we do means that you really, really like somebody and really, really like them being around, which I do. And I feel like it's so cliche and I fancy myself such an independent person, but I'm so much better when you're around and I'm so much more on my game where I feel like anytime you're gone, it doesn't matter if it's a deployment, if it's a weekend, I feel like I'm always just sort of biding my time. And there are absolutely times and ways that I do better with that. It always is helpful when you have a great group with you or if I get the chance to be back home with family, whatever the case may be. But it never gets, I mean, I don't want to say never. There are times when you're gone for a very short period of time where I can fully relish the, you know, 7.30 p.m. silence and sure. just the freedom that no one is going to judge me. Not that, not that you're judging me, but, you know, it's, you know. It's like, we like our own time. <laughs> we sure. do. We both like our own time. Yeah. But but I just would never choose for you to be gone. And I think that it's it's you being gone and always knowing you're going to be gone again. And maybe that's another part yeah. of it, that it's, it, there's not like an ending, but, um, yeah, I think that if I could, I know that that's when you're gone is when typically you're doing a lot of what you're really spending all the other time uh, working toward Yeah. more often than not, which is sometimes some of what I, can find comfort in even when you're deployed to me I of course never in a million years want you to deploy but at the same time had you never deployed I think there would have been a part of you that would have always wished you had yeah, and so absolutely. I can I can respect that I can respect the idea of sort of like going to college for years and years and then to never get to do what you went to college for would I get that would you say that there's a flip side to that where when I'm gone more often 
is that what you said that those are times where you forge those friendships more solidly would you say that enhances your spouse relationships more during those times i think does that bond you guys together more i think that it does so dramatically yes yeah i think that that basically the big life moments do that whether it's a baby a deployment Mm -hmm. you know unfortunately something tragic those types of things are generally just the events that that most likely people who are not in the military at least aren't they at least don't encounter encounter them as frequently but yeah the the deployment one especially and again we were so lucky in Idaho the the crew that we had when you were deployed was just what I would dream of for anyone. And we were lucky that our, our group also was filled with people who also had small children at the same time. We were just all leaning on each other. We all had the same fears and stresses and uh, just ex- points of exhaustion. And, you know, that was... And for me, probably a, another reason that that bonded me was because those are the times where I am almost backed into a corner where I'm forced to be vulnerable, where there's no... Obviously, you're scared. Obviously, you're stressed. Obviously, you're overwhelmed. Cecilia was, what, three months old at the time? Yeah. Did not sleep. And Annie was, I don't know, a baby. How old was she? Yeah, 12? I feel no. like we thought she was older than she so was. So much so. <laughs> Holy cow. She was still barely out of, so she was little, still an infant. Yeah, uh, when we look back at those pictures, and it's just crazy when I think, yeah. like, oh my gosh, I couldn't understand why she wasn't sleeping, and it's like, well, because she was a baby, too. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I feel like there's potentially always that, like, underlying unspoken current where even in times where we're not gone, you kind of have to subconsciously build those bonds with the spouses because you know that eventually yeah. we will be gone mm-hmm. and then you're going to need to lean on those relationships later on mm-hmm. and you guys kind of train yourselves to form those bonds so that you have them mm-hmm. when you need them the most. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally that's what true. I've, I've observed. Yes. But... No, without a doubt. And I think that when, when everyone's gone at once, it, creates a it puts everybody on the same beat so we're so much more in tune with what it's like to be completely exhausted or completely distraught or whatever the case may be completely just racked with fear because it's so much closer to where we already are whereas when you're in a squadron where people aren't necessarily all deploying or it's, you know, here and there TDYs. I think it's just a little bit different because my situation when you've been home for the last six weeks compared to somebody who's had a husband gone for the last two, of course I know what that feels like, but I'm not in that yeah. state mentally. And it's just not top of mind. It's not top of mind for me to run over and leave some flowers on the porch or something because it's just so far from True. where I am because you're around and we're talking about what we want to do next weekend or what we should do with the girls in school or whatever. It's just, you're just, yeah. well, and as... those, yeah, those non trying times, you're also all in different stages of life and mm-hmm. different seasons of life. And once we leave, that kind of brings you all like, mm-hmm. on the same sheet. Yeah. Of music. Because the rest of your life kind of pauses. Yeah. And we're all just waiting for you to come back. You're so all that just we can... in limbo at the same right. time. Nobody's getting pregnant anymore. Nobody's getting sense cool so we talked about these difficult times where you lean on your spouse support group Mm -hmm. support system what's one of the ways that sticks out to you where a spouse has served you well maybe in one of those more trying times Mm -hmm. or just on a daily basis Mm -hmm. i can think of two that stick out relatively close together one being when cecilia was born and we dropped Annie off with our friends while we went and had a baby. <laughs> and that's so very military life because in any other circumstance, you would leave your child with family, which to us we were, you know, but grandma, grandpa, whatever the case may be. And especially because I ended up being induced 
with what 36 hours notice or something so we so that helped helped what helped plan to <laughs> who we're actually gonna drop the child off with yeah no kidding yeah our type a selves were like this is great <laughs> thanks Pencil for us in. yeah but anyway so just being able to drop our daughter off and of course it was emotional from a any parent bringing a second child into the world perspective but absolutely no concern whatsoever no worry about her being a burden about I mean anything right. aside from her being afraid of coal but right. <laughs> but otherwise yeah. the fact that we could do that just sticks out to me like holy cow we had those people and we had more than one we had a whole crew that just stepped in and just cared for Annie and picked my mom up from the airport and had food in the fridge for her and just blessing upon blessing. So that was absolutely one. And the other was when you were deployed and I just had to send out an absolute hail Mary because Cecilia did not sleep for the first seven months of her life. And it was just a point where I hadn't slept and I don't even know how long. And I just had to say, please come sit with my children while I go sleep for an hour and a half. And the fact that again, you know, Two, two friends and their kids showed up with food and played with my kids and yelled at me when I woke up that I didn't sleep long enough. You know, that's just yeah. the kind of people that you, I cannot imagine going through those, those parts of life without them. And it's going to make me cry. Yeah. So. That's huge. And it's not even like those induce an IOU or anything. Oh no. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know that all of you are going to have that. Mm-hmm that need at some point, whatever mm-hmm. the situation is, and you're yeah. all on that together. It's kind of like an unwritten contract. That yeah. That's just kind of how things are, and you all need a second family around, and mm-hmm. 95% of the people are not going to have immediate family within driving distance Right. to do that with. Yeah. So you just kind of accept that as the way things are. and. Uh-huh. I think more often than not, you're going to find those people that you can lean on. Sure, because I think that assignment. Uh-huh. Because I think that that's almost everybody's ready to do that. Yeah. And I think that probably more of us than I recognize are hesitant to ask until you're backed into a corner. Right. But we but really, were... unless it's your first or second assignment in the military, you've probably encountered a situation where you needed that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. By the time you you know, start gaining that experience. It's almost like a non-thought at that point. Yes. Like you just, that's just how the way things roll. And of course, it's for the benefit of everyone. Agreed. So looking back from the time we started dating after I just commissioned up until this point, how would you say that your identity has changed Mm -hmm. or has been challenged? Maybe not changed, but challenge the way it is okay um, since we started that's a good question or has I, it changed I hope so yes it has definitely changed I think that I would not ever want to be the same person I was at 22 23 yeah I think that the biggest thing that I continue to be challenged by is what, what the measure of my worth is, which I've talked about a little bit on this podcast with other people before, but as an Enneagram three, they tell me that, (laughs) that I'm basically driven by accomplishment. I'm driven by the praise of others essentially. And I'm highly competitive and uh, for what I've read about them, nobody wants to be a three. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great time. Exactly. I'm really great when you get to know me, though. No, truly, though. Like, we're kind of monsters. <laughs> and so with that, to be someone who is instinctively driven by achievement and applause, essentially, to suddenly have to be taken out of the driver's seat to be, have my career prospects dramatically shifted and shrunk and to have a husband who is very good at his job, who 
I am insanely proud of every single day who keeps getting accolades and keeps getting master's degrees. <laughs> but it just, I think, was absolutely God putting me in a position to humble myself and to recognize that that is not where my worth is. I absolutely do not have that all figured out. I still feel like I get trapped in this idea, especially as we move and you meet new people and your circles are different and your relationships are different. At one place, I might be more sarcastic or something that might come up more where at another place I might be the working mom or, you know, I'm like, just, you get these different identities and it's of course not your whole, but it's also really hard to not sort of be compelled to capitalize on whatever that identity is. And based on who I am, want to be the best at whatever that is. So if someone thinks I'm funny, then I'm going to try to be as funny as possible, perhaps at the cost of, I don't know, decorum or something. (laughs) Like I'm going to, try to fit into these different boxes in order to still essentially be trying to achieve something, trying to be the funniest or the hardest worker or whatever. And so all I can truly say right now is that I have more of an awareness of that. I still struggle with it. And I feel like I don't really know the ultimate solution. I know that I feel like the solution is recognizing that I am loved for who I am, not what I achieve. But at the same time, I want to be the best at everything. So how do I reconcile that? Right. How do I stop wanting to be the best at everything? Like we talked about that with the girls when I stay home with them and I find myself just spinning and wanting to work because that makes me happy. But I also struggle with the idea of not being the best person to be around my kids all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that there are people who are called to be around small children, who are called to educate small children, called to love on them and sing with them and play games with them and who can stand playing imaginary stuff for more than 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> and so for me, it's like, okay, that's an example of accepting that that doesn't mean I'm not the best mom for them. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they love me less because I give them the opportunity to hang out with somebody who has an entire curriculum of fun planned for them. Right. And that's, but that's what I think. I think you're not as good a mom as the mom who has that all planned out every day. There are a lot of intangibles built in. What do you I mean? think, well, just as far as being a mom or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're trying to be the best at. Mm-hmm. And I don't think. You talked about, you know, being humble a little bit. Mm-hmm. That, I don't think that's even unique to being a spouse. Like, that is, in my own experience, mm. that's been a big lesson throughout mm-hmm. that, you know, we were warned about. But as you go along and get older and find your niche and, you know, work your way in these narrower, narrow, narrower fields of work, yeah, you are less and less special essentially Mm -hmm. right like you are put amongst more of the best of the best Mm. and your (laughs) average place in that is going to just naturally regress toward the the mean sure i mean essentially yeah i would absolutely agree with that for you and that's something that i've i stand i watch you grapple with that and i'm not to make this like a battle of humility or something but I'll be, you know, we're sitting in the middle of the desert. I'm jobless, covered in spit up, hot as balls, hot (laughs) as heck, (laughs) cut out balls. (laughs) And you come home feeling like you're not good at something. And I just want to knock you over because, because it's not accurate. But I understand what you're saying. But it's the same deal as you saying those things about being a mom or whatever else you're doing. And most spouses can probably say the same thing where they feel like they are underperforming in whatever they're doing. 
Because there's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody. There's always somebody better, and you guys are put in that unique position where your opportunities are also more limited. So mm-hmm. you can't necessarily mm-hmm. pick and choose. You know, potentially what you're the best at may not be available to you wherever we are. So you don't even have that luxury of striving for where your greatest strengths lie. That's a good point. Which is a great testament to, to you know, your type where you fall into these roles that you're not even groomed for, perfectly mm-hmm. matched for, and you still excel mm. in a, you know, in an absolute sense. That's and a good you guys point. thrive wherever you're planted, mm. as cliche as that is. Oh, that's a good point. And that also leads me to think, do you ever think about that with like random like Olympic events? This is kind of a side note. It's very much a side note. But do you ever think about maybe I'm so good at javelin, but (laughs) how do you find out? Like, and you think about that with like the guy who's like in the Olympics in javelin, like, is he that good? Or is he one of the like 30 people who's ever even tried to be good? Right. So it's like the snowboarder from Africa. Right, like the Jamaican bobsled team. The, the guy marching in the stadium by himself. Right, exactly. You're the only one who went out for this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, anyway. Given that, would you have a piece of advice to tell your younger self as you were entering this new phase of life? If you could go back. As I was entering military, military spouse life? life. yes. Mm. I suppose I would... Tell myself to start getting a degree in nursing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I do uh, I do certainly wish that I, if I had known where life was going to take me, I would have probably studied something different. Anyway, that's not my answer. I think I would tell myself, oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that I could tell, I don't know if there's much I could tell myself that I would have actually changed. Like, I wish I could tell myself to stop thinking I know as much as I think I know, or I wish that I would tell myself to be more open-minded or more humble, but I just don't think that those things would have ever come at 23. I think that they've come through the process. I think that I couldn't have just, I wouldn't have just showed up at a coffee at 23 with an open mind, ready to meet everybody and make friends. I just wasn't that person. Yeah. I don't think I would have suddenly been able to do that if someone had given me that advice. Cause people were, you know, any, anytime you would talk to a, a more senior spouse, they're always telling you how important all that kind of stuff is, but it's a learning process and I'm absolutely still learning. We're in a very new experience now. I think, I think this is definitely a different environment than we've been in before and we're learning as we go yeah so i would say even by the time we leave here i'll have advice for who i was when we got here but yeah i agree so if you could go back to when we got together Mm -hmm. let's say theoretically we could have gotten married and settled down whether Mm -hmm. in indiana or somewhere else and just planted Mm-hmm. and lived our lives wherever that was, would you still choose the military life we've had so far over something more stable and predictable and less erratic? <laughs> <laughs> or would you choose 10 years, let's say 10 years, that we've had so far of mm-hmm. military life? I would 100% do it again. I knew that I wanted to marry you when I realized that I wanted to be with you anywhere. And that was extremely eye-opening for me because before that, in prior relationships, it was all about getting back to Crown Point, getting back to our families, which is without a doubt the hardest part about this life is not being near there, especially we both grew up close to our aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents. And that is absolutely one of the most heartbreaking parts about this is our girls not having that same level of consistency with family members. But the 
relationship that we have forged over 10 years, I don't think we would have forged over 10 years. I think we would absolutely still be together, love each other, have a happy marriage. We would not be who we are, who we are to each other if we hadn't been through everything we've been through. And I think that that means that you take, in my opinion, you take a, you take what would have been our stable hometown marriage of let's say 50 years. And I think that you can take a lot of what would happen in 50 years and crunch it down to what we've already experienced in terms of loss and hardship and life and death and sickness and everything, you know, and a lot of that is due to the nature of this lifestyle. And I think that same thing, I would have never learned what it, how to make friends or how to be as good a friend or how to look introspectively the way that I've begun learning how to do if it weren't for this lifestyle. And again, the worst part of it is always going to be missing you and you being gone. But at the same time, that's sort of a, that's sort of a check on the pulse of our relationship because joking aside, unless, you know, sure, sometimes I'm ready for you to go so I can catch up on Emily in Paris for a couple nights. But if I ever were truly ready for you to go, that's, that would be heartbreaking. And that's, I am grateful to that that is still so hard i'm grateful that i still hate it when you're gone agreed i think it's pronounced emily Puri. amelie on perry <laughs> <laughs> but i agree that we yeah there's just so many conversations that we never would have had decisions hard decisions we wouldn't have never have had to make mm-hmm. and it, yeah as, as hard as it is to be away from family so much We've also gained so much family mm-hmm. along the way, which I think is a strong argument to, to balance against being away from blood family. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you think about that, somebody like, like Ryan, for example, your friend yeah. Ryan, who had, we, if we all live in the same hometown, we would be friends. I would love Ryan. But at the same time, Ryan's also the guy who you write down, who's supposed to come tell me if something horrible ever happens to you, you know? And that's the kind of thing that I just, just absolutely despise thinking about. I hate when you ask me those questions, but at the same time, there's no denying that that strengthens a friendship, that you don't look at somebody differently, that you don't, not that we would ever not do anything for them, but it takes to a different level because things are just heavy. Yep, for sure. Not to mention just exploring different places that mm-hmm. we never would have been able to explore before and, and finding those places that we might want to settle down one day mm-hmm. that we never would have probably explored, at least not to the extent that we already have. Right. Maybe a weekend visit, but we would never have spent two years in Boston. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have spent, or I wouldn't have spent four years in Colorado. I wouldn't have. Right. We would have never gone to Idaho, probably ever. No. Quite honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, those places where you kind of roll the dice with the Air Force and some wins, some losses, but. Sure. And uh, we've been I, very lucky, too. We have, in general. But I would say, I bet the vast majority of military families would chalk up more wins than losses in those instances sure. uh, as a whole. I hope so. Yeah. So you said that you would choose this Millstown's <laughs> life all over again. So our girls in 20 years will be stepping out in the real world. Is, uh, is this life something you would want them to experience? It's tricky because as the mom, I would then be the one they're moving away from. <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely want them to experience a marriage like ours and friendships like the ones that we have. And I think that, as I mentioned before, I don't think that our marriage would suffer had we not experienced this, but I think that it's richer for it. And I believe that our friendships are deeper because of it. Ultimately, yes, I want them to have rich, full lives, whatever that means. And I want them to have love in whatever capacity that looks like for them. And if that means marrying 
someone in the military, then that's what that means. I, I think that it would be neat to bond over some of that. There are things that are very unique to this life that I would be happy to be able to relate to with them. But there's also a lot of, there's heartbreak and there's hardship and there are absolutely things that we, you know, things we haven't hit on, but things that are tough, tough, tough about this life. So I don't want them to ever have to struggle, but they will one way or another. So I agree. I think there's just such a great potential for growth. Mm -hmm. That's hard to pass up if you're offering this up to someone. That's true. Again, it's not for everyone, but there's just so much opportunity built in and so many experiences that are available to you that Mm -hmm. again, you'd be hard pressed to find anywhere else. Just the the breadth of opportunity that you can get. Mm -hmm. That's true. I should also say whether it's the mill spouse life or the military life for themselves too, because they're going to watch both of us and see in which case I really don't like the idea of them (laughs) deploying. (laughs) But I think that, Again, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there, and I think that they are already seeing a lot of that now. Granted, they could also easily just want the stability, having not known it, and seeing that there are parts of that that could be nice, and maybe they'll marry a a nice, you know, man or woman who they settle down with and live next to us and just have grandkids. and That would be fine, too. That would be great. (laughs) Yeah, just thinking about how much the military has changed in the past 30 to 40 years as far as, you know, men and women and their role in that. You know, the next 20 years, I imagine we'll probably see close to the same amount of growth. I hope so. The world I hope so. I know it's know. changed, but I know there's definitely a lot of room for growth Growth there, too. It's not. Yeah, and there's definitely, you know, women are definitely, they still have a lot, a long way to go uh, as far as being represented in the military and looking around at my pilot world, right? Mm-hmm. I have exactly zero women air crew in my uh, building of two squadrons right now, mm. which... Well, that makes me want them to go into rel- the military. <laughs> you know, that, that, I think that's probably... Well, it's not the first time, but it's more of the rule than the, the exception, mm-hmm. unfortunately, still. But yeah, making progress, I think. We'll keep seeing more and more progress. So I hope so. Do you think that that is unique to to the gender difference in terms of, in my opinion, the military being light years behind the rest of society when it comes to female representation? Yeah. Do you? I. But I would also argue that that's not the only thing that the military is behind in. I just feel like there are things that generally why is that probably a lot of reasons i think the tradition is strong Mm. right there's still a lot of male traditions built Mm -hmm. into a lot of these career fields including uh, the pilot world Mm -hmm. notably the fire pilot world Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that is hard to overcome and i think still permeates a lot of you know how everything's advertised to the public Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. word of mm-hmm. mouth as well is a big thing, but, you know, it's still a stronghold, and they're, like I said, they're making leaps and bounds still, and I know, like, the Air Force, at least, has had a lot of involvement in public affairs and trying to get, mm-hmm. trying to publicize the fact that women are a strong part of our force, and mm-hmm. um, we're trying to build our diversity and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's still a stigma that surrounds the military mm-hmm. that it's male dominated, which mm-hmm. it is. So that's mm-hmm. just kind of a barrier barrier that needs to keep getting challenged mm-hmm. and pushed up against. Mm-hmm. And eventually, there'll be more and more moment, momentum there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a pin in this because I will go down a long and winding path where I have many more questions for you, and that's not the point. Anywho. Anywho. 
You always ask this, so I want to give you a chance to answer it. Mm-hmm. How would you want your daughters to describe you? Oh, I wasn't expecting that one. Okay. I know. I should have been expecting that one. <laughs> I want, I hope that they describe me as, I think that's, I think it's so hard because they're so little right now that I feel like we go through so many thousand million emotions in a day that I try to think about, oh, who do they see me as right now? And it's, it's every type of person. With that, I hope that as they're growing up, they see me as someone who is confident, who is confident in who I am and who, because this is something that I admire so much in you. And so I hope that they see this in both of us is that they see me as someone who is true to myself. I just hope that they can see me with people of all walks of life in all different circumstances and see a consistent person. I want them to see mm-hmm. me as a consistently kind person, open-minded, while also strong in my convictions. I don't ever want to be somebody who sits at home preaching about women's equality and, you know, treating everyone fairly and then turning around and accepting derogatory jokes about women in some other circumstance. I want to be consistent. Right. And I want them to see that I can stand up for what I believe in and still have people who love me still be a good friend, still be all these different things and that you can have strong opinions and have conviction and not be necessarily just an Enneagram three monster. So I hope that they just see me as somebody who they have, who has the courage to stand strong in what I believe and who also, also somebody who, somebody who always, always, always wanted the very best for them. It it doesn't always mean that I'm in charge of making that happen that I can make it happen. There's going to be hardships and I can't prevent that, but that I just always, always want only good things for them. Yeah. I think you're well on your way. <laughs> That's good. I think you did a great job of that. Okay. Uh, tell me about a military spouse that has changed you. Yes. So I think the military spouse, I mean, many, 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 of course. That's, again, the purpose of this podcast is that I can reflect on so many people who have changed me and made me who I am. But I think one person who I go back to so regularly and who I just find myself thinking about so consistently is Colleen. And you just asked me about the girl, so I'm already emotional. So this is not, not, not great. (laughs) Um, So as you know, Colleen lost her husband a few years back and Colleen is one of the funniest human beings I have ever met in my life. I actually only had the pleasure of meeting her a few times before Kurt passed away, but she was one of those people who I was just like, oh, I like her immediately. She's uh, one of the <laughs> one of the few people who can make, whose sarcastic jokes will make me sometimes go, <laughs> oh, girl. <laughs> I usually am the one sometimes worrying about if I went too far, but there is, oh gosh, she's just so funny. She is so funny, but obviously much more than her humor is her unbelievable strength. And so for her to lose her husband at such a young age to just see her in her darkest hours and watch who she is today is without a doubt, truly watching her over the last three years has been I think one of the biggest gifts I've been given because she just she's done this and of course I can never pretend to know what every single moment was like for her but overarchingly what she has made of herself is incredible the person that she is the outlook she has the I feel like she is someone who I just will always cheer for and she is and she has this way too for me it's she's it's not like oh she had it harder than me so I can't 
have a hard day. That's never been a feeling that she's given. That's never been part of how she has impacted me. Like I, I've never felt like I'm not allowed to, to have a tough day today because the girls were crazy and she dealt with this. It's just never been that kind of a dynamic. She wants nothing but good things for her friends, but I just watch the way that she handles life, the way that she has overcome. And that is humbling is a dramatic understatement. Yeah. Really grabbed life by the horns, retook control of her own life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand why she was dealt the hand she was dealt. She's she's already overcome more than most people ever will. Yeah. And the fact that she's still standing and still so funny and so kind. <laughs> <laughs> I have a crush on Colleen. That's what I'm saying. It's okay with me. <laughs> We joke now about, because, you know, her fiancé's <laughs> name is Kyle, and you two are, I believe, cut from quite a similar color. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. It's unfortunate for her. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, sucker. Would you want to trade jobs for a day? No. <laughs> <laughs> I... <sighs> what if I could guarantee that you would be safe? That is more compelling. Yes. Yeah, I would love to go fly once. Just once. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it, and there's so much work that, from what I've seen of the work that you do, is not work that I would enjoy doing. So I would love to experience it, having done, like, the taxi. So, yeah, I would absolutely love to go fly once. I otherwise will leave that to you. Very well. Well, what the closest people in your life say is their favorite thing about you? Oh my goodness. I don't know. Tell me. Hmm. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. That feels like a slippery slope into some serious <laughs> arrogance, but... Just see I... how they would describe you, I guess. Well, stunning. Charming. <laughs> I think... Because I have really, really great friends who say nice things to me, I think that something they have emphasized is that I'm a pretty straight shooter. So I don't think I'm rude. I turn out to be rude, but I'm usually not going to indulge something too far if it's something I really disagree with. For instance, I'm not going to just placate someone. I may just choose to not participate, but I think... I hope that I'm generally pretty sincere. I think that means that you're pretty efficient in finding the friends that are Mm. going to stick because you don't really play games. You don't beat around the bush as much as others might. Without a doubt, efficiency is probably also a way that would be described, (laughs) which you are too, which is why we struggle with the mingling because it's not, mingling is not efficient. Right. I just want to ask everybody who they voted for. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Before you sacrificed a lot of your career ambitions to start moving around with me, what vision did you have for your career or what your life would look like in the long mm. term? That's so hard. I think when I was going to college, I wanted to be a buyer in corporate retail. That was what my ultimate goal was. But you came into the picture early enough on that even when I was working in corporate retail, I did not see a permanence. I knew you weren't going to stay in Massachusetts. So if things worked out with us, neither was I. I knew you weren't going to be in Texas. So if things continued to work, neither was I. So it's really hard to say, you know, my, my, what did I want to be when I grow up was a buyer. That was the case probably since high school. And I've also been really lucky to find other things I really enjoy. I never thought when I was in college that I would work in digital marketing and that's been my favorite job I've ever had. So now when you ask me, I don't know, something, something in, you know, and I've said that we've been talking about this recently. I would love to work in digital marketing and 
be in a in a position where I could also impact positive social change or you know be president sure something low key just aim, aim low yeah I think that's been very impressive because obviously you had great potential when we started dating you've had seven jobs that you've done really well at um and really you just moved around because of the necessity of where we were in life or moving or mm-hmm. whatever else was happening not because you weren't good at those jobs but just the resilience and adaptability has been very impressive well thanks you're welcome all right we have now reached the rapid fire portion of the evening <laughs> ready i'm ready uh, what is a great book that you've recently read that you would recommend so bad at this because I never remember books. That you read all the time. I know. I I think that the most respectable answer here in terms of books I've just recently <laughs> read <laughs> was Becoming by Michelle Obama, which really is great. I also really love I don't know how you say her name. I think it's like Elin Hildebrand. They are mindless beach reads <laughs> which have been really nice in twenty twenty. What's it about? Which one? Elon. Oh, the last one was about... Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about a guy who uh, cheated on his wife, had a second family, got murdered, second family, met the first family. It's, yeah, it sounds like really yeah, laid back. Yeah, you're love it. Right now I'm reading about the, the a book by the dad of David... Uh, what is it? Miskit? Miscavish. Miscavige. Yeah. So that's interesting. Scientology. Yeah. Cool. Really like white reading. I like to keep it light. Okay. What is your earliest memory? Mm. I don't know which one technically came first. I have this one memory of our neighbor giving me a towel with ballet shoes on it at our apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. It was a towel with pictures. It was a of towel with like an embroidered pair of ballet shoes with my name on it. I see. Okay. I just remember I, them. the first thing I thought of was they gave you a towel that ballet oh, shoes were sitting just like on. Oh, a pillow? Like, yeah, no. That seemed like yep. a weird gift. Yeah. So, but it, the weird thing is, so that was in the doorway of our apartment. I have another memory in the same doorway of the apartment where I gave my dad a hug in this like white fur coat and then got white fur all over his suit. <laughs> And then I have a very vivid memory of when my sister was born, of the morning being dropped off at my nanny's house, and then being at daycare later. And I remember the phone. My mom called me and said, you have a baby sister? My dad, I don't remember who. And I remember that I told them, I know, because I had specifically <laughs> requested a baby sister. Yes. And up to that point, I don't think I'd ever been deprived of anything I asked for, right. so... Still, you can make that argument. That's not true. (laughs) What is your favorite uh, experienced or hypothetical weekend getaway? (laughs) Those are so different. (laughs) Experienced and hypothetical are very different. Okay, do both. Okay, experienced, favorite weekend getaway. Probably a tie between our New Hampshire weekends. We went up to that little cottage. And just... The real, real breezy hike. That was my speed. That hike, <laughs> kind of hike. It's just like kind of like a long hill, but then you feel like you're really immersed <laughs> in the mountains. Uh, so yeah, hiking in New Hampshire. That one time when we happened to get really lucky, and I think it was like a late fall season, so it was just stunning. Mm-hmm. And we paid like eighty bucks, and it was incredible. Yeah. And then the other would be when you sent me away for Mother's Day. And I got to just, I guess again, just sit and look at the mountains yeah. in McCall. and Across the lake. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a theme. <laughs> just like to be sitting on the edge of water looking at mountains. It's <laughs> not bad. Here we are in Florida. <laughs> Everything's going great. <laughs> okay. Create your own weekend getaway. Mm, well, I guess it's going to need to be a lake and a mountain. <laughs> I think that... Yeah, I feel like 
truly I'm longing for a cabin on a lake in the mountains. The girls are there, but they sleep until 10. <laughs> and fire, I don't know, Boy Meets World on the TV. The girls enjoy it. Nobody says, this is not my favorite. <laughs> what is your favorite meal? Ooh, I think my, when I think about my favorites, it's mostly tied to memories and home and stuff like that. So as somebody who is not a big fish eater, my grandma's tuna patties and cream peas are still at the top of my list because it's just, oh. I love it. I know. I know. Tuna patties and cream peas and my mom's sloppy joes, which are just better than anyone else's. Okay. That's it. Now to end it, why don't you send us off with your favorite quote? When they go low, we go high. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to get to know me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to tell me who you want to hear from next year. You can shoot me a message on social media at the American Mill Spouse or email me at Elizabeth at the American Mill Spouse. Talk to you soon.